Hi, this is Mish Hancock, and you are listening to Mishmash, a place where I get to talk to the weird, wacky, wonderful people of this world, people I adore and want to know more about. Today, my guest is Faith Varwig. She is the principal of Faith Group, a company that at its core helps clients develop a new vision for the future and the tools required to help them meet their agenda in security, information technology, compliance programs, and more. Welcome, Faith. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. So this is, I, 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 I want you to explain what your company does, because I don't think there's a lot of companies that really do what you do, correct? How many minutes do we have? I have no. <laughs> 185 minutes just for this question. Okay. okay. Well, I mean, uh, from a bottom line standpoint, we are technology and security consultants. And I think we all know that we live with technology in our environment every day. Right. I mean, you don't get up in the morning without grabbing your smartphone and checking it and getting up to date on news and information and what your friends have been doing. And that kind of technology, you know, just bleeds through every part of our life, business, private. And so from a corporate standpoint, we work a lot with our clients on what's the new, latest, greatest technology coming up in the industry? How do we take that technology and improve their business processes by making them more efficient or customer friendly? And then, you know, what are the technical changes um, and resources required to actually deploy that new technology. So that's the piece on technology. Right. The, the second side is the security side of our business. And I started in security back in the 80s um, in airport security. And the unfortunate factor is that every day we need more and more security yeah. systems and issues, you know. The, our culture has driven us to this constant, you know, monitoring and making sure people are safe and secure. And from a technology standpoint, we do a lot of design related to access control systems, CCTV systems, like the smart uh, CCTV cameras here in the city of St. Louis. Our company's working on that project. Oh, um, great. Okay. And we do a tremendous amount of work in aviation. And I think everybody knows how important security yeah. is in aviation. And that's... At the core, most of the work that we've uh, done from a security standpoint. So it's really exciting work uh, every day when I wake up. Uh, I have no idea what the day is going to bring because if there was an incident someplace in the world or somebody launched a new technology, it changes my business. Yeah, I bet. I mean, and I can't even imagine trying to keep up on it. I can't even imagine because I feel like, I mean, you know, it, it seems like every time you you go look at anything. It's like, oh, here, there's there's this terrible virus and this is going on. And, that, and you're like, oh my gosh. It's like everybody's trying to work against us, attack us a little bit, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, our clients, uh, cybersecurity probably really started to emerge as a core issue with most of my clients about five years ago. Right. And now it's just at the top. Every time we go talk to a client, um, their first question is, what are we going to do about cybersecurity? How do we say, you know, stay safe? What are the safeguards? How do we train our people? You know, a lot of the cybersecurity issues have nothing to do, or have very little to do with the technology and a lot to do with people. Oh, I and, bet, because they people, clicked on that thing they, they weren't supposed to click on, Yeah, right? or they put that thing in their, their computer they weren't <laughs> supposed to do. Right, so, right. You know, that all of those things are things that we need to work on in terms of with our clients. So that's part of our compliance and policy side of our house where we not only work on the technology aspects, but we help our clients teach their people how to do things better. So that's a core component because if you just give somebody, it's just like when I get a new uh, iPhone or cell phone, 
if somebody doesn't help me understand like what the buttons are that I really right. need to push, you know, I use like five functions, right? So I just paid a hundred percent and I use five percent of the functionality of that system. So it's the same with everybody. If you don't do a good have a robust training program for your staff and people, then you make these huge investments and they really don't get used to their full, you know, full capacity for right. that client. I think that's awesome that you train the people. Because, I mean, I, I see it happen often where, in fact, the other day I, I got um, on Facebook, someone was like, hi, if you get a message from this person, um, don't accept their friend request. They they are spamming everyone. And I was like, something's weird about that. And sure enough, I looked it up and it, it's a thing. Everybody's getting these messages, you know? And I was like, okay, so don't believe this. If you guys see it, you know, I'll put it out on 100th Monkey Media just to let everybody sure. know. This is a weird thing going on right now. But I think some people just don't see through it. I mean, you see people that still post things on their Facebook page, probably not the youngins, but the older people will post things where it's like, please do this and that and the other thing or else Facebook is going to steal all my personal information. Have you seen these things? Yeah. I mean, those kind of things. I, I think there's two gaps from a technology standard. The older the older generation and the brand new younger generation who can't not stop clicking, right? Gotcha. I mean, they click on anything because Lord knows if they miss one thing, one item, you know, they're going to be out of tune. So they're very hard to train and older people just don't know any better. You know, the, right. the guys in the middle that have been using it for a few years are much more comfortable with it. I mean, if an email comes into my office or my inbox or an advertisement, if I don't personally know that person, right. where it came from, and that the uh, regards line matches that individual, you know, it goes right over to my technology guys to for them to take a look at it and see if the virus exactly. in, included. But, you know, it, it's it's just getting worse. And to, to some extent, when that kind of thing happens, it's actually good for my business. I hate to say that. Well, but, sure, you know, of course There's it is. more and more of a need for people like our company to come in and help our clients work through those issues. So what? So do you currently work with um, clients in the airline industry? At, and I mean, what kind of clients do you guys work with? Well, so um, about 70% of our workload is aviation-based. So we worked predominantly for airport authorities around the country. We're at about 40 airports today, including wow. like Atlanta, which is the busiest airport in the world by passenger capacity. Is it really? At, it is. I didn't know that. Almost, See, I thought uh, it would have been New York or Chicago. No, no, no. It's uh, it's, it's Atlanta and then uh, Chicago, actually, after that, I believe. Really? So, um, but uh, we work at a lot of the larger airports, L.A., San Francisco is a fantastic client of ours. Um, and then we work at a lot of smaller airports down in Little Rock. We've done a lot of work in Memphis. You know, it doesn't make any difference what size they are. Mm -hmm. They all have the same problems. They just scale up, right? So if you're, if you're uh, dealing with two to five million passengers, you have the exact same needs and issues which which drive you towards you know better passenger services and being able to um, deploy new technologies to make your uh, make your staff more efficient as you do if you have hundreds of thousands of staff. Right. It's it's just a matter of scale and money. <laughs> if you have two to five it. million passengers, though, is that per year? Per year. Yeah, and that's a small airport like a cat. Category two size gotcha. airport, and there are plenty of those airports, and they're great clients. Um, but there are a lot of large airports that we work for too, and there's a lot of complexities with large large airports. And again, every day that we work at that airport, if an incident happens, 
Um, I'll give you a good example. One of our uh, airport clients is Fort Lauderdale. Okay. I think many people know there was an active shooter in Fort Lauderdale not that many months ago, and right. we are doing security work for that airport. And overnight, the focus of security and the things that we are going to do for that airport completely changed. Wow. Because the reality had hit them. Right. You know, I think a lot of people live in this lull of, it's not really going to happen to me, it's going to happen to somebody else. Yeah. And then they kind of procrastinate. Um, you know, waiting, waiting for, you know, something to go on and then they re- respond. And right. what we really try to do is get our clients to get in front of the issues, say, look, this isn't an if, but it's a when. Mm-hmm. And we really need to think about that. And how does that look on your, you know, roadmap in terms of your planning for technology programs, your fiscal spending, your capital budgets, and how do we weave that all together? Right, right. And if you're going to be dealing with that many people in a year, and as you said, even a smaller airport is going to have two to five million people come through it in a year. Out of the two to five million, there's probably someone you really wish wasn't in your airport. Absolutely. Right. (laughs) We are going to take a quick break and we will be right back with Faith. We are back with Faith. So how long have you owned this company? Um, we, uh, I started Faith Group in 2004. Okay. So it's been a few years now that, yes. uh, that we've been in business. And um, it's been, um, you know, I started in my basement, like all good companies, right? We start right. in our basement, well, garages, yes. living rooms. You got to start somewhere. Like got to start somewhere. <laughs> That's right. And it was a sad day when we moved out of the basement, um, but also a happy day because that, that you know, sparked really the growth. Um, we've been uh, voted one of the fastest growing companies in St. Louis for the last couple of years. Congratulations and, on um, that. Thank you. And we have offices in Minneapolis, Philadelphia, uh, Gaithersburg, and uh, Atlanta. Wow. And we actually do quite a bit of work on the West Coast, but most of the work we do um, for our West Coast clients, we actually are resident actually at their facility. So it's a, you know, it's a mixed bag. Gotcha. But uh, it's a coast-to-coast business. We've done some work in um in uh, Canada, um, and some work in the Middle East, actually. Wow. Which is interesting for a woman-owned business, yeah. as you can well imagine. That is, talk, talk about that. <laughs> I mean, that's really interesting. Well, it, it you know, um, it's a little bit different when you're working in countries that don't necessarily uh, respect and represent women like the, they are in the United States. Yeah. So I kept asking one of our business partners over there, do they actually know we're a woman-owned business? I mean, you know. Yeah, like, do they know <laughs> this? Do they know this? Right. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, it, I, I think for my perspective, it was a wonderful cultural experience to be able to, you know, travel to the Middle East and, and deal with those different cultures and get a better understanding of how that works on a day-to-day basis. You know, in business, you don't feel it as much, but you can see it around you when you're there, you know, in the hotels and restaurants and just, you know, culturally how people interact and respond with each other. So it's quite different. And I think it gives you that real respect when you come back to the United States for what we have today and what we have here uh, versus, you know, what other people have to live with on a day in, day out basis. So, Was there anything traveling over there that you were really surprised by or that maybe 
you just had no idea. Like, this is very interesting. Like, we as Americans have no idea about. So I, I would say, I would sum that up to say, and this is going to come from a Midwestern farmer girl um, okay. perspective. Okay. <laughs> so I have to qualify that first. But um, in the Middle East, uh, I was in Qatar, so we, we know exactly where I was um, at when I'm talking about this. But there are, um, the people that I was working with there are a melting pot of the world. So maybe people in New York get this every day. But it's not every day that I go to work and I sit next to a guy from Ireland, New Zealand, Australia, um, the Philippines, another guy from Pakistan, somebody born in Jordan, somebody from London, and they all cohabitate and work together. Um, my struggle was understanding the the languages, you know, the accents. Everybody right. was trying to speak English, but that was uh, uh, obviously <laughs> an interesting version uh, from my part on that. But I, we don't get that. We don't. We certainly don't get it here in, no. in Missouri. We right? don't. Um, and we really don't get it in many um, meetings that I'm at around the country. I don't sit in very many meetings where I feel like I'm at the United Nations. Right. right? Um, and I think that, you know, partially that's a struggle with what, with us still maturing as a, as a country to look at how business is done elsewhere and the impacts that other cultures have, uh, positive impacts on, on business and process. Well, and I think, and once you get to understand another culture, then you understand a lot more about the people and why they think the way they do or behave. You know what I mean? I mean, I think it's really important to, I would love, I I would so love there to be some kind of a course that everybody had to take to learn about different religions, different cultures. I mean, I mean, I think it just gives you what you, I, I lived a long time ago. I went to school in Spain for a year and just being in that whole other and immersed in that whole other culture, because back when I was there, there was not, I was not on Facebook. <laughs> you right. know, there was no you to make a phone call home was going to take, you know, a lot of money and a whole effort to make that happen. So we were really immersed in that culture, and just being in that whole other culture, I learned so much, and and I I feel like it gave me quite a bit of a more worldly view just having that experience. Uh, there is no doubt to that, and and I will say that. Um, having the benefit of being able to travel in my business and going to places like Kuala Lumpur and to to uh, Israel and to the Middle East and other and London and lots of other places, I when my kids were little, I insisted that we do a lot of international travel, and I think it really helped um, form their opinion about what the rest of the world has to offer. Right. I mean, there's not a lot of seven and 10-year-olds that are riding elephants in the rainforest in Thailand because I wanted them to have that education to understand what is this culture like? What does it feel like to live here? How are the people? And, you know, you really find at the core, people are the same everywhere you go. Yeah, I they, really they do. Really, I really do believe that at the core are are the same, but it's their culture and their their wealth of the nation and um, philosophy and religion that really drive them in different directions than maybe we have here in the United States. But you know, we've uh, I've been fortunate. I've traveled to a lot of countries, and uh, you know, it's it's very interesting. And there's a whole lot more on my travel list. So even oh, though cool. I travel all week for business, my my husband and family think I'm nuts. But we love to do big <laughs> vacations and. You know, well, I'm yeah, the first but that's one out a vacation. The door. You're working at the other traveling, so <laughs> that's, right. that's different. <laughs> I never get to see anything when I go to those yeah, cities. It's like, there's know? another hotel. <laughs> right. Yeah, literally some days I fly in and never leave the airport. Yeah, right? exactly. I have my meeting there and fly right back out. 
try to explain to the TSA agent why you never pass through security. Oh, interesting. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but you would know. You were like, but I'm, I'm into the security thing, and let me explain what's going on, yeah, Mr. Exactly. H. <laughs> yeah, they're government. They don't listen. <laughs> <laughs> so what was the decision? Where, where did you decide, I'm starting my own company? Well, I'd worked 20 years for a previous company here in St. Louis. And, you know, at some point you get up in the mirror and you look in it and go, you know, I can do this on my own. I, I built a uh, a division within that company that was aviation focused and turned it into a national business. Um, and, you know, one day we just decided that probably it was time for me to go. And it was uh, probably the best decision I ever made. It's been it's been a wild ride um, and uh, it'll continue to be a wild ride. But I'm I, I get up every morning, love the job I do. I love the people that work um, with me. We're very, we're we're very much. We call ourselves a family unit, right? Um, it's not it's not a corporation. It's a family of people that get together. And even to that extent, we've got family members. I'm kind of the Herb Kelleher of consulting. Where Herb Kelleher, who was the uh, owner of Southwest Airlines, his philosophy was. You know, if if I hire you and you're a good worker, your mother's probably a good worker and your son's probably a good worker right. and your cousin's probably a good worker, right? And you'll know who those people are. So, you know, we've actually got several people working in the company that are friends or relatives or cousins or kids from, out of, you know, coming into college that we give internships to that are, you know, part of the part of the family. And, you know, for the most part, it works out really well and it helps us spread um you know, from an entrepreneurial standpoint, that idea that being an entrepreneur, you have to also help your community and your friends and your family, not just be a business. I love it. That is, that's a great philosophy. That says a lot about a company too. And I bet people stay with you for a long time. Yeah, we really, we have a pretty good retention rate and uh, it, it's hard to get people, it, it makes it a little harder to recruit because we're a little tougher on, you know, what we're looking <laughs> will for. Will you fit in, in with us? Of, will our, you fit right? in with us? And, I, I, and I think that's, that's a big question. They have to fit in with you in order for it to all work. That's right. And we're not at a size right now that we have to just work with anybody and we have to take people. You know, we're, what, 60 people, 65 people. So we're still small enough that we can kind of be cheesy about the people we hire and bring into the family. Because we all, at the end of the day, have to work together and we have to like each other. And that delivers a good client experience. That's awesome. That says a lot, Faith. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. We are back with Faith. Okay, but I have to be transparent. I can't lie. So so usually I don't tell people the questions, but if you guys were watching us on Facebook Live, I learned of this awesome thing. So we have to talk about, Faith, what do you know about hydroponics? <laughs> well, let's see. I'm so glad you asked me that question. Surprise. <laughs> so as if I didn't have enough to do in my current company, uh, my younger son and I and my husband are all starting a uh, hydroponics uh, garden down in Hillsboro, Missouri. I love it. Um, you know, 
hydroponics uh, is uh, is a very sustainable growing method. You know, I grew up on a farm where we turned over dirt. Right. We turned over a lot of dirt. And, right. you know, the problem with that growing method, albeit, you know, people, tons of people still use it today. Uh, it's just not sustainable for the long term. And as we go through climate change and things get hotter and colder and drier or wetter, you know, it's really hard to for farmers to uh, depend on that constant income from a revenue standpoint. Right. I mean, I remember as a little kid, you know, the the income went up and down based on how much it rained that year and seasons. Right. Exactly. In seasons. Right. And I, you just got to feel for farmers where sometimes there's an entire year their crops just get wiped out. Uh. So hydroponics is a way to to grow vegetables very sustainably on a much smaller footprint. That's what I was going to ask you. Do you get you? You can get a lot more in in you a smaller a, space. That's right. You can get a lot more in. Uh, theoretically, you can grow uh, a butterhead uh, uh, lettuce head in 52 days at hydroponics. That would take much longer um, and a lot more water, a lot more water if you were doing it in the dirt. Really? So, so we're going to start our business uh, in uh, with tomatoes and I think lettuce and with about 10,000 square feet of greenhouse down there. And then we're going to expand out from there. After we, you know, get a chance to really get our hands in there How and cool. get it dirty. But the, the name of the company, we do have it now. It's Heme, oh. Heme Produce, H-E-E-M. H-E-E-M. And if you look at the, the meaning of heme, it's farm or earth. Oh, really? So, earth produce, Ooh, right? Oh, I love it. Even a new word I get to learn today. It's a new word. That's right. <laughs> exactly. That's the best. Yeah. So, are you so, going to be at the Hillsboro Farmer's Market on Wednesday? Yeah. <laughs> Should I go there for my hydroponic tomatoes? Exactly. Well, not yet, because we're just starting no, to build I know. this I thing. I know, but I but, love it. I'll be keeping an eye out. I want to know more. That that's exactly. Just, well, I'm hope, fascinated with that. Okay. Well, hopefully by next spring we'll be up and operating, and uh, we'll uh, we'll be able to get back together, and I'll give you a check in on how we're doing. But, I would love it. But oh it's a gosh. whole new business, and I'm how really excited fun. about that. I love learning about these things. Okay. So now my question is going to be about airlines because you have a history with the airline industry. And with Ozarks Airlines no longer around, do you have any treasures you kept from those days? Oh, of course. Ozark Airlines was my very, very first job when I started in the industry. So I was working out at Lambert Airport, and they were getting ready to build Concourse D. So Concourse D didn't even exist back wow. then. And uh, we were getting ready to build Concourse D, and um, we were doing it for Ozark Airlines. And so then it wasn't too long into the project that TWA bought out Ozark Airlines. And so ultimately we finished the project for TWA. But um, both of those airlines, of course, are no longer no in longer. business. Yeah. I think my favorite memorabilia from TWA is I've got this wonderful picture of the L-1011 um, in the air. And the reason I love that picture is... Uh, the company I was working for back then built the simulator facility for the L-1011 in St. Louis, and I got to fly the L-1011 simulator. Ooh, cool. And although I did crash it the first two oh, times, oops. <laughs> oopsie, um, I, uh, I did land it the third time, and Jim Eberhardt, who ran that facility, God love Jim, uh, gave me a picture, and he said, you realize this is the best aircraft we ever flew? And that was back in the day when... You flew from St. Louis to San Francisco or Seattle, and you got on that plane, and you were in first class, and you couldn't touch the seat in front of you, and Ooh. they served you shrimp cocktail. Are there L-1011s anymore, though? Oh, no, no. Well, they are in cargo. They retired them all. They were oh. gas hogs. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, it wasn't bad, Weirdly, a bad Weirdly, that's the here. only... Um, 
the only like airplane I would have been able to recognize in the sky because it had that thing on the top of it. I grew up in North County, St. Louis. And so we were by the airport. And so my, and my father worked for McDonnell Douglas. So my, we were obsessed with (laughs) airplanes. It's like, my dad would be like, that's a blah, blah, blah. That's a blah, blah, blah. And the only one I would ever know, I'm like, thank goodness. It's an L-1011. I know what that is. (laughs) It's probably because you heard it as well because they were quite loud when they took off. But I did manage to, you know, you know, come away with some of the little first class coffee cups and oh, cool. you know, How a few fun. few little things of memorabilia from those from those airline days. So uh I I think us and anybody else that, you know, is listening to this that had the benefit of flying TWA out of St. Louis with six or eight banks a day to every major city in the country uh, really missed it when that all went away. Oh yeah. When we weren't a hub airport anymore, it was very sad. Yeah, it's to- it's still sad because well, you just it takes forever to get anywhere now. Well, and you can imagine the business impacts. I mean, it takes think about every all my people that fly all week, uh, you know, to different destinations, and now it takes them all day to get someplace where they yeah. could have worked three quarters of a day, hopped a plane, and been in New York by dinner, and still almost worked all Not day. Not anymore. Right? Not no, anymore. You stop. You have stops and layovers everywhere now. Yep. Oh. It really bums me out. So I'm going to stick with airline because we all know the joy of standing in those lines (laughs) at security. Oh, yeah. And so, but you, and and it is a pain, but tell us why it is so important. I mean, we know, but what should we be thinking about as we're standing in that security line? I, well, so many things cross my mind when, when you talk about that, but I, you know, I think the the importance is that we have to make sure airlines have an obligation and airports have an obligation to make sure that the people traveling through their facility are safe. Right. Okay. And it'd be really nice to be able to do, just think about, well, we don't really have to screen anybody because I know who you are. Right. But look at the news this morning, just, just this morning, where this guy that has been in our military, fought in Iraq, was, did two or two two tours of duty, I believe, over there. And they just, you know, they just arrested him as being an ISIS supporter. Oh. So here's a guy who's had every background check in the whole world, right? right? And he was radicalized somehow in our military, while he was in the military, likely. Um, And, you know, they, thank God, they they caught him before he could do any harm um, to anybody. So you just cannot, you just can't say, boy, I've known you all your life and you're okay. So just walk right through without screening. Right. I think what we have to do to improve screening is we have to get some of the equipment through the testing processes sooner. There are lots of equipment companies out there that have prototype equipment that just does not get pushed through the certification cycle fast enough. okay. Okay. So that's number one. Number two, we have to have funding. There are unfunded mandates constantly coming down from the TSA for airports to improve security, yet there's no money that goes with that. How do we do that? Right. right? Um, so, so we, and number three, there's no space in airports to actually put the new equipment. Go. When have you ever went through a security checkpoint and said, wow, this is luxurious. Look at all the space right, I have, right? exactly. You're usually crammed in some little line walking yep. through a space that's about two feet wide to try to get to where you're going. Trying to get your shoes off, so, trying to get, yeah. Right. It's, it's, so to deploy new technology and to improve the whole process for our passengers, all of that has to come together. We have to have funding, we have to have technology, and we have to have space to, to deploy the type of equipment that would make our process better. 
And I think, you know, we, we have to focus on that. And I know a lot of focus goes into the airlines refusing to allow us to add like a dollar tax to everybody's ticket to pay for those changes because they say, well, it's all these taxes that you keep adding to our tickets. But I don't know too many people out there that wouldn't add a buck to their ticket if they I knew it's agree. improved the process or they made it um, more, you know, easier to use. Right. So I think the problem is you only hear the bad things about those kinds of things and the lobbyist groups for the airlines saying they don't want to add it. But I think people really need to know what the real truth is there. And, you know, part of some of the stuff that we do in our in our government groups is we work on uh, issues like that. Right. That is, thank you. Because it is important. I think about that when I'm standing in that line. As much as I don't like standing in that line, I'm like, but there is a reason. They're not just trying to annoy us. Right. There's an actual really good reason for us to be standing in this there line. There is. There's many reasons. Many of which I can't talk about, but okay. many reasons. Well, okay. We, we won't talk about this. <laughs> we don't want to get you in trouble. <laughs> we'll stick with hydroponics. No. Well, thank you so much. I so appreciate your time being here and learning about you. This is fascinating. All right. Well, uh, you know, I I really appreciate coming and I'd love to come back sometime and give you an update. We're going to so talk hydroponics, yeah. Exactly. Call me next year. Bring this in the whole time. family. We got right, room I'll bring now some... in the studio. Look at this. Yeah, we'll just... Exactly. I bring some lettuce and tomatoes for everybody here. Oh, um... yeah. Definitely you're here. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Faith. Appreciate thank it. Thank you very much. All right. Alrighty. Thank you. And all of you out there, you have been listening to Mishmash. Please go to iTunes and subscribe. We'll catch you next time. 